Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast. Coming up on this episode, frame safety in trainers. We think it's time for bike brands to clear up the mess. Which is Taxa's best-selling trainer? The answer may surprise. And all the latest Zwift, chat and gossip. Warning, may contain grumpiness. Well, it seems like ages since we last spoke, but here they are, my partners in Zwift Chats, Nathan Gary. Yo, dude. Hey, how's it going, Simon? Not too bad, thank you. And the llama himself, Shane Miller. G'day, mate. G'day, Simon. How's things? Very well. Very well indeed. Well, I'm going to start this episode in a slightly unusual way, so bear with me for a sec. A chap who doesn't want his name used posted in a little-known Zwift group with a marvellous story. He's 62 years old and has been a Zwifter since the earliest days on Jarvis Island. Earlier this year, he was hit by a distracted driver while riding outside. In his own words, he was almost killed. His injuries were awful, including a broken neck and nerve damage. He was in intensive care for four days and hospital a lot longer. That was in April and now he's back on the bike, both outside and inside on Zwift. Clearly this chap isn't in the shape he once was and he was on Swift and put out a call for sub 2 watts per kilo riders to join him for a spin. One rider from Norway replied and they rode along. They rode together for an hour and if the rider in rehab got dropped, the rider from Norway came back and pulled him along. They started messaging on text and it soon became apparent the Norwegian rider was just 15 years old. A young rider who was quite happy to help out a weaker rider, almost 50 years his senior. As the rider in rehab posted, there aren't many places where a 15-year-old strong and fit kid is willing to ride along with a battered 62-year-old. Zwift is the only place it's happened to me. Ride on! Shane, I think we can trust an alpha Australian male to give us a uh, the right perspective on this little story. So, over sentimental claptrap, or ah, oh, what a lovely story! What do you think? No, I like it. This is uh, I think this is one of the thousands of social experiences that people are having on Swift and you know with other online communities. Um, so no, I, I I like it. I really really do. And um, it, it comes back to cycling being a leveler. Look, people from all backgrounds, all experiences. And what I um, thought about when I was listening to this story or reading the post actually um, when I first saw it up on the uh, the Swift group was that my experience that I had over when riding in uh, Fiji. We did the tour of Fiji a few years back, and we were riding with young kids who had next to nothing, and we we're riding with resort owners. Owners, and we we're riding with the New Zealand commissioner to Fiji. So people of all different levels. But when we were on the bike, we we're all having the exact same experience and sharing that moment. So this is one of those. And uh, yeah, no, I, I like it. I do. Yeah, I, my view on it was it was a pretty touching story. I, I uh, dropped the cynicism shield for a while. It was a lovely story, actually. It reminded me of when I first, well, I've cycled kind of all my life, but I, I, I retook it up on a serious basis about 10 or 15 years ago. 
And I remember thinking, I've rejoined what I like to call the Worldwide Fellowship of Cyclists, which is an extremely loose organisation, but you get to see it from time to time. So my best example of membership of the Worldwide Fellowship of Cyclists was when I got a puncture when I was doing a commute and a guy in a car stopped in front of me, parked in a place where he probably really shouldn't have parked, came up to me and said, can I help you out, mate, because I'm a cyclist too. And uh, it's great when those kind of things happen. Nathan, the thing that struck me about this, though, is this kind of thing I can see happening a lot, lot, lot more when we have voice in game and we still don't have voice in game. Why do you think it's taking them so long? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I think that there's definitely uh, examples already out there where this is taking place. Um, I think there's a great, I, I love the story. The story is absolutely awesome. It really touched my heart actually when reading it. The optimism toward uh, voice chat is interesting. There's really great times that are had in voice chat in other games uh, during more casual things that are going on or just fun. We're all doing this together. And then as soon as it starts getting a little more competitive or a little bit more intense of a situation, things can get toxic very barely quickly. If you ever tuned into one of my Overwatch streams, I have a very hard time myself remaining gracious and merciful towards other people who I think are doing things very wrong or whatever it might be. So I can't believe that, Nathan. I can't believe that because I think you're the most gracious and merciful person I know. <laughs> you should tune in. We have a rage jar next to me to keep me accountable. And every time Nathan does anything that seems like not very uh i don't know i'll just use the word kind um their money goes into the rage jar for our viewers in some sort of way or so, so anyways and we even put we even are thinking about putting the words mercy and grace up on the wall in front of me so i know how to keep myself accountable to, to that how fu- how full is that rage jar nathan <laughs> I, I think there's at least 20 bucks in it right now we have done giving i think we ought to have a live webcam of the rage jar i like that a lot i do like that a lot actually that is a great idea i am going to get a second webcam just for the rage jar and uh i have a feeling that's going to be a great little spot loser fruit is a twitch streamer who streams she streams uh overwatch out of australia and she gets some pretty interesting things going on in voice chat with her uh while playing lots of overwatch now that's a totally different environment gamers are another culture in a lot of ways too and so i think that there's a lot of positivity and a really good culture a lot of times around cycling because it's like um, in general, cyclists are uh, trying to better themselves. And not that gamers don't do that, but there's this um, – there, I think that in general, there's um, – everybody is uh, going to be fairly cordial in that environment. At the same time, we've seen plenty interaction communicated through the Zwift pages um, and groups uh, that has been very interesting. And I think we're going to see that in voice chat in the future as well too. So maybe that's a little trepidation there and how do we manage that as a community well? And that's where ban buttons come in. That's where, I don't know if my, I mean, the community a lot of times moderates itself in that way and it reports people for being abusive in chat or whatever it might be. And then those accounts will just get banned actually in the games. It's a great point Nathan makes, Shane. It's one I hadn't actually given much thought to, really, is that voice is another level in its capacity to be able to annoy, irritate, hit on, abuse people. And we all know about the whole women and internet thing. I mean, it's sometimes a pretty, pretty awful place for women, the internet. Do you think 
that is what might be causing the delays on voice? Mm, not sure if that would be the specific reason, but there's a lot of other issues around using uh, or opening audio channels, especially in noisy environments. So I think that probably contributes as well. I've been using the Le Mans Revolution for quite a while, over the last few weeks actually, and that thing is very, very, very loud. If you open a mic up in the room, anywhere in the room, it's just noise. So that might be contributing as well. But what Nathan said as well is the social aspect of adding voice. It's a lot bigger than just being able to talk to the guy next to you or the girl next to you um it changed the dynamic completely and opening that up to everybody um yeah comes with a lot of other uh, baggage i guess you could call it as well so it's going to be very interesting to see the tools that either add on or don't add on um that we're going to be able to use to manage the environment manage our experience yeah 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 no it's going to be an interesting one to watch but my oh my they're keeping us waiting for it um now that distance record at the weekend that i that was off the scale i mean i interviewed her um, before, um, this is a Dutch lady called Yasmin Muller, who has, if uh, Zwifters didn't realise, is now the current distance holder. She spent, God, something like three days on the bike and did something like 1,100 miles. I mean, a, a, absolutely awesome achievement. And when I interviewed her, which Nathan put out that interview as part of the coverage on Zwift Community Live, God, she had her head screwed on. She was so together and smart and I mean the interesting thing Shane I think from an athletic point of view was that she said this was three times longer than she'd ever cycled before so you know she didn't just double her previous um, endurance distance she tripled it I mean that is incredible isn't it that was amazing to watch I saw her riding around um, I was watching on the mobile app as well um, but in this generation or in this time frame I guess and where the world's at we need heroes we need people to do amazing things and we need to be inspired by you know people's actions and this was definitely one for me this was amazing it wasn't um, just any other cyclist getting on there and just riding their bike for 100 k's and saying I got the um, you know the 160 kilometer uh, jersey or something like that she'd done something that nobody has done before but not only did it but blew it out of the water it was unbelievable so hopefully this inspires people all around the world to just do something amazing or do something special wake up one day and just achieve that goal so yeah brilliant brilliant stuff i think it was really significant that derek bucock who is one of the other distance holders uh, distance record holders said that he wasn't going to go immediately after the mark again and try try and beat it as a kind of mark of respect to her, which I thought was a really nice gesture, actually. Um, Nathan, um, ask me what Taylor Finney said to me in Girona. Go on, ask me, ask me. <laughs> so what did uh, Taylor Finney say? I'm really interested to hear, actually, Simon. <laughs> I'm really, do you know what, Nathan? I'm really glad you asked me that, actually. Uh, I was I was chatting to Taylor Finney when I did that um, Cannondale Draypack thing over in Girona, which was super interesting. But uh, Taylor himself is... Well, he's a bit weird, actually, but he's weird in a very, very, very good way. I mean, a really friendly way, but he's not, 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 not your typical pro cyclist. He's, he's, he's a bit kind of hippie-ish, actually. And, um, uh, I mean, a great guy, really, really nice, but you got the, the sense you weren't talking to the kind of identical pro cyclist. Anyway, the point being is he is a massive, massive, massive Swifter, which I think he flies under the radar a bit with that. And not only that, he is a huge, huge, huge gamer. And he met Eric Min uh, two or three times. I mean, Taylor Finney's been on the platform since beta. And he met Eric over that period. And he's been pushing really hard for 
Zwift to be super gamified. So, I mean, he was saying he wants things like bazookas on the handlebars and, you know, major Mario Kart uh, kind of features. Um, uh, music to your ears, I guess, Nathan. And, and actually, just I'm just going to also add into this conversation, I don't know whether you saw some clever person had scoured some trademark protection uh, registrations and seen that Zwift had taken out or, or, or has attempted to take out trademark protection for rowing. Well, that's no surprise at all, but golf. So given Taylor's comments and, and you know, maybe we're going to see Zwift golf at some point in the probably very distant future, um, are we seeing the reinvention of We Fit here, Nathan, do you think? The rowing makes sense to me. I had no idea about the golf thing. That... Uh That'd be interesting. I uh, I thought it would be hard to figure out how to commentate on running. Um, so <laughs> trying to commentate on golf, um, <laughs> that's a whole nother, and we're going to have to find somebody else for that one. But so I just think there needs to be more expression, though. Like what is going on with what you're – the first things that we could do to gamify it that I think that would be very received – by the population uh, would be to put graphics that express your effort um, that uh, would there was a joke by Zuscana the other day actually I keep bringing her up because she actually is a, a hardcore gamer as well and also a mother who rides on Zwift and gets her hours in late at night and she was like so like when you go over your FTP by a certain amount you turn into a super saiyan like and I was like wow that'd be amazing like if my body actually or there was some sort of graphical change that went in with instead of just seeing an orange number. Right. So look, there's an orange number is what I say during the commentary. OK, yay. There's an orange number. So do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, do you remember that French French dude we had on the, the, the professor guy, the psychologist uh, researcher who uh, and we talked about this very thing, if you remember that if the avatar changes shape or form, it can actually have a detectable effect on how you feel about yourself. So if you look stronger, you feel stronger. And, you know, I mean, the thing is that there are like hundreds of these ideas. But um, Shane, I'm, I'm going to get a bit negative here. We have seen nothing new for, uh, I mean, apart from the volcano extension for, uh, well, forever, really. I mean, since God knows when. And is we beginning to feel a bit flat? Yes, simple as that. It's been a while. It's been a while. We've been in it from since um, since beta. I think it's almost coming up to two years since I first started my um, Zwift career, I guess you'd call it, or using Zwift as an option for my cycling. And early on, I think we may have mentioned this before, there was a lot of development and a lot of fixes and a lot of changes that we could jump on. And if they changed a bit of the aerodynamics, we could, or a new bike, we'd jump on and try it. And it's just, it's something brand new. It's a new set of tires, like out in the real world, or it's a new chain. It, you just feel that newness we're lacking and to be honest the other day we jumped on and it was richmond oh i was depressed um not a fan of richmond but it just felt so odd now richmond wasn't last year it was the year before that was when the um world championships so we need i guess we expect really really fast development we're in the new age now of apps being updated all the time and things being updated all the time and the experience changing with all this other software um so i think there's there's big expectations from the community on zwift to keep bringing out new things um but yeah i'd love to see a lot more i I like the excitement i run off uh you know the brand new shiny thing and i go to that like when the volcano first came out what did we all do we went and rode the volcano but then it switched to Richmond for a few days. So, yeah, there's, there's a few things. It's feeling a bit one-dimensional to me. I mean, the, uh, 
the I noticed there was a confetti thing uh, that happens now when you cross uh, a sprint or get to the top of a climb. And, and that kind of like took on dispro- disproportionate excitement to me because it was new. I mean, and it was such a tiny, tiny, tiny thing. But I think what it under, underpinned for me or underlined for me was this thing that there's nothing new and there's been nothing new for ages. And, and I know we ought to be understanding and I know we know kind of what's going on behind the scenes at Zwift. And I know we know that it takes ages to develop these things properly and it takes ages to get the right people in place to develop them properly and test them and get them out and make sure they're good. But are there limits to our tolerance, Nathan? Do you think we're, our patience is being unduly stretched or are we just being grumpy and impatient? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think that the social thing is actually the main thing that's pulling people back then. You know what I mean? Like rather than the game parts of it itself, um, a lot of times... Uh, I do have gamers come into my channel who are like, this looks really cool. What's going on with this? And then within like a couple of times of viewing the stream, I can tell that they kind of go, well, what else does it do? You know what I mean? And so for that crowd who is definitely interested and might actually purchase the game are not doing so maybe because it doesn't have enough of those features that are interactive. And I, I really want to get away from this training tool versus game. They're both It's both end. And actually, like you said, like the psychologist said, the training tool is only enhanced by it being a better game, actually. And so um, it's it, it's it's a video game that can be used as a training tool. And actually, it being a video game makes it a better training tool because of its interactivity and its social aspect. And so I think developing the game side is extremely important, though, to keep people coming back. I mean, there's so many so much creative side of it that's not you know our part to play here. But um, I'm with you there on that that point, uh, both Simon and Shane. Speaking of the confetti edition, um, I mean, that's a nice little sort of, I guess, eye candy to have. But I joined a ride the other night, the uh, the Aussie Hump Day ride, and we started off our circuits of eight laps or so, and the kilometre count was still wrong. That's been wrong for months. Like, I don't want the confetti. I just want the little bit of polish and things like that. So there's still a, quite a few little things. Um, I mean, I should submit a ticket with that and all that, but I'm sure it's a known thing. Um, there's a few things that we just need a little polish and to move on with, for sure. Uh, we shouldn't sound too grumpy, you know. I mean, you know, and, and I do go on the Facebook groups when stuff goes wrong and say, hey, guys, remember what indoor training used to be like. And, I, you know, we have to keep that in mind. But the thing is, they've given us a really, really, really good thing. But that really good thing has only stayed really good when it could be really, 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 really good. And, you know, <laughs> anyway, I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Probably the second that this podcast is published, as usual. So <laughs> make, make fools of all of us. Anyway, let's crack on. Uh, and the pun was deliberate there, listeners, because the next thing we're looking at is the safety of carbon frames in trainers. This came up because one Swifter bust his frame. And the aftermath of that revealed what a mess this whole area is in terms of warranties and what bike brands say about the safety of their products and trainers. Uh, and we're going to get to that very, very shortly. But let's hear firstly from Gareth Lloyd. This is the Swiftcast, the podcast for Swifters. Welcome to the podcast to Gareth Lloyd, all the way from Sydney, Australia. Um, I've got to greet you in the traditional fashion, Gareth. G'day, mate. <laughs> G'day, Simon. Um, the reason you're on is because you've won a bit of a campaign against Specialised, and we'll 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 get into that in a minute. But let's 
let's get some background first. This is a topic of much interest to people because, you know, an awful lot of people put their best bike on the trainer. And as they clamp it in, it often crosses people's minds. Is this a safe thing to do? So tell us your story related to this this issue. Um, we're quite lucky here in Sydney. We've got generally, um, you know, good weather most of the time. So generally when I jump on a trainer, it's it's means it's raining out outdoors um here in sydney so um i had a couple of sessions on zwift um with the uh, with my bike the um specialized tarmac and um everything was fine and um and then the next day i took it out for my um what uh, ended to be my last outdoor ride uh, about a 70k loop or so and then it wasn't uh, till about two days later when i took the bike out again for another outdoor ride that i realized that there was a problem with the back wheel it was um, rubbing against the um, left chainstay, you know, so I couldn't ride it. So obviously I took it to my local bike shop and um, he had a look at it and said there's an actual crack in the, um, in the rear dropout. Especially I wanted to have a look, closer look at the, um, at the bike, so the um, uh, bike got shipped down to them. So probably about a, a week later, um, I got uh, feedback from the local bike shop that specialised has determined that because um, they feel that the crack in the frame was due to indoor trainer usage, my lifetime um, warranty on the frame was uh, was void. At that point, you must have been, I would imagine, two things, surprised and horrified. Well, yeah, true. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, look at the wording at the uh, limited warranties that Specialized have and even the user manual. There wasn't anything to say that you cannot use a bike or an indoor trainers, and if you do, you might void your warranties. So that's been one of the gripes is the miscommunication, I feel, as an end user. I think the point is that most, I would say most, possibly even all cyclists, would consider the use of a bike at some point or another on a turbo or an ergo, as you guys call it, to be completely normal usage. I mean, you know, everybody at some point probably puts the bike into a turbo. Absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, I just had another look at the warranty and, you know, the, the wording from the specialised warranty is, you know, basically you, know, you need to use the bike under normal conditions and use. So my argument is uh, what do you usually use your road bike for? To ride outdoors. But the most, second most popular option, I would dare say, would be indoor trainer usage. In my case, I, I believe it's normal use, what I did. So um, being, uh, being both surprised and horrified, and I get the sense somewhat determined, you decided not to let the matter ride there. What, what was your next step? I had no direct contacts in the Specialized, so my professional background is a social media manager for an IT company, so I thought, well, what would I do from a social media perspective? So I actually reached out to a couple, found a couple of local Specialized contacts through LinkedIn. One was the communications manager for Specialized Australia, and I must say the communications manager for Specialized has been fantastic from day dot. And then uh, finally got a phone call from the managing director, again, of Specialised, um, which we had a, you know, a good discussion, found a resolution. And that resolution is, is, is a new frame? A new frame, yeah. So basically, look, they still stand by their claims with, you know, using your bike on a trainer. And if they determine that trainer cracked the frame, they would, you know, void a warranty. But he said out of, um, you know, goodwill and that, we would like to give you a, a new frame, like for like, basically what you've got. I believe they're going to be updating their um, user bike manual and even possibly their, their warranties as well to make it a lot more clearer from specialised stance for using bikes and trainers. I, I think it's fair to say that they've done right by you because you've ended up with a, a new frame under warranty. But I think it's, I, I'm also picking up from you, and I think it's an opinion I'd probably share, is that this situation... It is specifically with specialised and possibly actually 
generically across the industry is a real mess. It's a real mess of confusion. Consumers have no idea where they stand. I mean, my advice to people who are buying bikes of local bike shops, you know, ask questions to local bike shops. And if they don't know, get them to find out from the bike manufacturer uh, that you're looking to buy what their stance is because they're all very different responses from all brands. So confusing. So for, for me as an end user, why can't I buy my $9,000 bike or 10000 whatever it is, and be able to confidently use it um, on the indoor trainer as well? Because at the moment, I mean, I'll get this new frame from Specialized, and I'm not sure if I'll, I'm allowed to use it on a trainer. You know, you know, and I don't want to go through this hoo-ha again with, with them. So, yeah, I'm a bit uh, cautious. Well, I mean, with the growth in indoor cycling, I personally, my view on this is it's a big issue. And um, I think you've done an absolutely fine job in, in raising it. And uh, I'm very glad you've got a good outcome. And I'm delighted you've come onto the webcast to tell us about it. Thanks very much, Gareth. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The Zwiftcast. Shane, a big mess is a kind of kind way of describing this. I prefer a complete shambles. Um, So let's unpick it a bit. I mean, I do think, firstly, that it is important that we keep this in proportion and in perspective. And before we have a go at bike brands, which I'm sure we're going to do, um, you know, I I think we need to think about how big this problem is. And it's hard to know how big it is. So let's assume it's quite small and, and, and just keep hold that thought, really, because I think if it was really, really big, then we'd know more about it. But that's not really the point, because the point is there is a quite ludicrous lack of clarity around this whole thing, isn't there? We are not seeing the failures. We simply are not seeing the failures out there anywhere. If you want to see what social media does for failures and how prevalent uh, the information spreads and how quickly and what it's all about, look at the Flux Owners Group. There's been 100 failures of those trainers out there and social media works really, really well in this case. Now, I pulled some data out of Strava the other week and it was it indicated there were 16,000 rides on Zwift on any given day. Well, this one day that I looked at, 16,000 rides. So hold that thought with 16,000. Let's say Zwift has a small market share and there's probably 50,000 people at any given day using their carbon bikes on ergos. So 50,000 people. Where's the data of people breaking their bikes? Where's the, oh, that's failed because you rode a trainer. It's not happening. If we were seeing 50,000 bikes a year breaking, then I could understand the bike brands being a little bit wary about this because it's going to cost them a lot of money in replacement frames. But I really, really don't think we're seeing that. I think it is a tiny 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 number and if it's such a tiny number and we have robust data on this which well is the absence of data data i don't know but it's it's data of a of a type then what risk are the bike brands taking by saying of course you're warranted in a turbo specialized what have they said they said we don't test our bikes in ergos well they test their bike in the wind tunnel so why can't they test their bike on ergos i mean i can guarantee you there's more people riding their bikes on ergos than winning races because of the aerodynamics of their bike. So Specialized coming out and saying, we do not support usage of our bikes on the indoor trainer. That's an absolute cop out. Now, as a customer, I wanna be protected when I use my bike for what I wanna do. And I, again, I own two S-Works bikes. So for me, is it the customer that's number one or is it the marketing coolness that's number one? Because we see ergos used all the time in the pro teams. We see them used in warm-ups, cool-downs, in advertisement, and even the companies themselves use it across all their social channels, people using ergos, whereas us, the customer, we can't use an ergo on a specialized bike. That's a bit have your cake and eat it too. It's the 
uh, impression they put out there that we can use these bikes in a certain way, whereas in fact you can't. Their wording is it may void your warranty. It may, totally at their discretion. Well, I tell you what, Specialized will need to revisit this and actually restore some faith with everybody who's using these bikes indoors because there's a lot of people. As I said, 50,000, I estimate, use these bikes indoors and a number of those will be specialized. A lot of them will be carbon and we need to be reassured that we're not... uh, not going to break the bank and having to buy another bike. Uh, I do think people realise that this is this is a, a mad situation, and I, I I can't see it lasting too much longer. And I can't ever see anybody getting a warranty claim repudiated in in the turbo. To be honest, I just can't see it happening. And if it does, pl- tell us, please tell us, because we'll make a noise about it. As you said about clarity, Canyon. I researched Canyon as much as I could because I was looking at their bikes. Online, I couldn't find anything in their warranty about ergo usage. Somebody then chipped in in one of the forums and said, oh, dear, when you actually buy the bike in the manual, it actually says you can't use an ergo. After purchase, we find that out? That's absolutely terrible. Canyon said straight out, no turbos. That is not the intended use of our bikes at all whatsoever. That got me thinking. Canyon SRAM, sponsored by Wahoo and Zwift. We've got other Canyon teams. I think it was Katusha, was it on Canyons? Um, always riding trainers. And uh, it, it's like the Iraqi information minister standing up there saying, no, no, there's no war. There's no bombs going on. What we're seeing here is Canyon standing there saying, no, 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 don't use our frames. Don't use our frames or, or our bikes on ergos at all. But behind them, we've got the pros using their bikes on ergos. We've got their social media channels filled with this. To finish off my rant on this, we're not seeing turbo companies or ergo companies address this because they rely on those frame manufacturers, Tax, Wahoo, Cyclops, they rely on the bikes actually being on their trainers and working, so they can't really say much about it. The software companies, Zwift, Trainer Road, Sufferfest, again, they rely on the ergo companies who rely on the bike companies, so they really can't say much about it. It's up to us as the customer to make sure that we've got bikes and products that we can use and are truly have faith in after spending two or three months salary on the bike that when we're using them for our intended use and the, the use that they're showing them in the marketing, we just want that. So it's the cake and eat it too that needs to be fixed. It's the people who have to drive this. So I'm heavily on this and uh, I'll scream from the treetops um, that this needs to change. Absolutely. Uh, Nathan, I mean, given the, the, the big miles you do on a trainer, do, do you ever worry about ba- breaking a bike? Have you ever broken a bike? I mean, I break everything, though. Outside, inside, it doesn't even matter. My mechanics just look at me like, how did you do that? I, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm actually really surprised. I never had any trepidation at all until seeing this and then seeing my mechanics look at me and go, well, you were using it in a trainer. And I looked at him like, yeah, so what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, and I feel like it's an excuse. Like mm, that. I, yes. I really do. I feel like it's an excuse. Like, well, you were using it. So it's not on me or it's not on whoever, you know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm, um, and I also am afraid of the opportunity that could be taken with this question. Is there a good argument for a dedicated trainer bike? No, you're not going to sell me something else. Like you're not going to sell me an additional bike now for this new way of cycling that we have, because this bike works just fine. There's a, there's a, a pretty good amount of frustration in me as well. I'm, I'm right along with Shane on this one, you know, with such a large population and with, if the numbers that Shane are saying that they're so low, as far as that goes, the warranty should easily be there. Now with an uptick of people using trainers, maybe they're seeing some different data coming in or something, but I do feel like it's a little bit of a, the may that may word is uh yes ooh not okay with me one bit that it needs to be yes or no now for the me the customer is number 1 without i mean take your pro teams take all your marketing away that they can keep all those without the customer these companies don't exist 
So they've got to have customer number one. And I think the market is now changing. We're all now using turbos or ergos indoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think they know that they are skating on thin ice. I really do. I really do. Okay, um, good to air that. Um, even though, I, you know, I, I go back to where we started, I do think this is a tiny problem. So if it's a tiny, a tiny problem, guys who are making bikes, why don't you just say it's such a tiny problem, we're not worried about it, you know, and therefore all warranty claims will be honoured, you know. Anyway, there we, there we go. I think we've made our point. Uh, let's catch up a bit with the race scene on Zwift. Nathan, I mean, we are kind of beginning now to get towards the end of the indoor season or or the end of the peak of the indoor season um, in the Northern Hemisphere. Are, are you seeing numbers holding up on, on races that you commentate on for Zwift Community Live? Yeah, actually, they are holding up. Uh, the Southern Hemisphere is starting to get like think about the trainer a little bit more it seems like maybe and then at the same time the numbers are consistent it's uh for the bigger races it's 300 to 400 racers almost every single race and so uh it's definitely extremely consistent and actually most of the smaller races are growing still um so friday criterium and a few others are starting to see 250, 300, like in that 200 to 300 range. And so, um, you know, I think the consistency and also the awareness and then just the general growth of Zwift, all the boats are going to rise. Racing is a, a, a real thing on Zwift now. And it's interesting to watch the groups and see people's experiences of racing for the first time and saying, I didn't think I'd like it, but actually it's really, really good. <laughs> you know, is it? I, there's some really good, interesting stories of, of people who have, have definitely got the racing bug. Um, Shane, the, the risk of provoking another round, which, I, you know, I, I do enjoy. I do, I do particularly enjoy your rounds. But we began to have, and then I think we decided to save, uh, what, what was going to be a really interesting discussion about racing on, on the listener's side, uh, the Zwift, listener, Zwift cast listener's side, where you had quite a lot of really interesting things to say about... I think why you don't race so much on Zwift and and more particularly why elite cyclists in general don't race on Zwift. And there were some really, really interesting points there, which actually, again, come back to game development, which and lack of, which seems to be a bit of a theme this week. Um, I mean, you you were saying really that that it is and and let's accept that it's impossible to simulate racing inside because because it is you you could make a fist of it but it's never going to be perfect but you were saying there were you know you felt there were a couple of really key things missing which would be kind of easy wins if they could be if they could be implemented and really really make racing more appealing to elite and, and high level cyclists this is a post I put a bit of thought into because I knew it would be looked at by quite a few people and no doubt Zwift has seen it as well. There's just a few things there that uh, just lacks the feel. And I think I summed it up with it lacks the feels if you've seen those memes everywhere. But a lot of that comes down to you're never going to be able to replicate that. I mean, at, at the start line of a race, if you're standing next to Peter Sargent at a race, your heart rate's going to go up. But if you're standing next to somebody in a new Trek jersey with an expressionless face, you don't know really who they are. So it's all about this sort of who's next to you, the general vibe and the feel. I know you can't really quantify that, but it's it's that adrenaline rush that you get that's just not quite there yet. And I think adding some things like steering, maybe a bit of randomness, like a bit of crosswind or something like that, it's just going to add a bit of elements that, you know, you're going to be out of luck a little bit. You might be the strongest guy there, but hey, you missed the break. 
or you, you, you've got to choose the right wheel to sit on. At the moment, you can't really sit on it. So there's, again, as you said, it comes back to game development. There's a lot of stuff that I think just could be really cheap, easy wins. Um, but at the risk, though, and the way I see this, early on it was easy to implement change because there's only a few of us. Now there's tens of thousands of us having to explain what that change is and how it actually uh, works. Very, very tough one. So not only are we looking at development time, we're looking at sort of upskilling time and explaining to people why changes need to be made. But uh, again, that was all from my, I'm a racing cyclist. I want it to be exactly like outside mode. Um, mm, it was an interesting post. Mm. And it's it's and it's never going to be like that. But 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 I think your point is it could be more like that, uh, 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 which I think is a, a fair enough point. I really do. Um, Nathan um, Shane used the words cheap and easy, and then followed them up with to implement. Now uh, you know, is that realistic? Is it realistic that we could put some more gate? Let's call them gamey racy things into Zwift. So racing did become a little bit more random. Corners weren't ridiculously predictable. You didn't go on rails. You know, there was never any sliding out on wet cobbles or, you know, whatever. I mean, could, could, do you think those things could realistically be be implemented? I think what you, I think there needs to be control over whether or not you made the mistake. So going into a corner, did I dive at the right time? Did I, giving the user a little bit more control, over the avatar would give then a whole new dynamic to how it interacts with everyone else. And people will figure out how to best race each other then with that new dynamic. Um, making it as much like real life, you know, I'm obviously, this is where me and Shane might go a little bit and I race outside, but I, I see them as two different ways of cycling. And so we learn this way of cycling, we'll learn things from the outdoor expression, but this indoor expression will take those things and do them a different way and make them really good in that different way. I think he's adding depth to the racing. I think that was your initial point, Shane, really, is that Again, and I think I've used the words early on in the podcast, one-dimensional, flat. You know, you, you, you can look at the game and you can see how depth and complexity and, you know, even an element of randomness could be added. And, and, and that, when you introduce it and layer it over, over the racing scene, you know, would, would massively add to it, it, its appeal. And, and, and I go back to this, this word depth, but... You know, I'm sure they're aware of all this, and I'm, I'm sure some of it's coming. I'm sure some of it's coming. It's just when. This is the Swiftcast, the podcast for Swifters. Fundamental to racing in Zwift is the results service provided by Zwift Power. Now, like many aspects of Zwift over this indoor season, the game itself, the community and, and some of the special events, there have been growing pains as numbers have increased. So I thought it was time I chatted to one of the key guys at Zwift Power to get a kind of update on where the whole thing sits. Welcome to the Zwiftcaster, Glenn Knight, the front man for Zwift Power. Not the only man for Zwift Power, but uh, Glenn tends to do the speaking in public. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Simon. How you doing? Not too bad at all, thank you. So um, let's just have a bit of an overview of where Zwift Power is as we're getting towards the end of the traditional indoor season for this winter. Where, where do things stand with Zwift Power now? How does it look to you? Yeah, so um, Zwift Power's had a bit of a tough time recently. I, I'm not Zwift Power as such, but more uh, sort of the data back end side of it. Not many of you will be aware, but 
October time last year, there were some changes to the way that riders are seen within game. Uh, and that, of course, affected our ability to capture data as reliably as we were throughout the summer and early racing seasons. We, we experienced more and more problems with more riders being on on course, uh, our watches were being bumped around and knocked off course. I ended up with a couple swimming, uh, some in the volcano. You know, it, it was it was a pretty torrid time, and I was putting watches back on course sort of three or four times a day. By the time I started putting them on and got to the end, the first ones I put on were back off again. So it was pretty tough. It was um, it was a bit like a full time job really, um, on, on top of you know, my other full time job and uh, and also a full time family. So yeah, absolutely. Let let me just stop me there, Glenn, and ask something that I'm sure a lot of listeners will be keen to hear the answer to. I mean, I don't want you to, to go into the technical details because it won't mean much to a lot of people. But I think it's fair to say that the process which you use to collect data, as you've just explained and referred to watches, it's pretty laborious and it's fairly manual. Is there not a way that Zwift could supply better data to you? Um, yeah, I mean, th- you know, things are changing um, and um, we- we've got a new process in place. I can't go into too much detail, but we have a different method of seeing the rider data. Um, but um, so what we should see now is... Um, much more reliable, much more stable. The um, So hopefully we should start seeing results much smoother from sort of today onwards, really. I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to ask this question in this way. It's a bit like a, 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 have, a have you stopped beating your wife yet? question because what i was going to say is you know is with power going to get better but of course that implies that it's not been very good recently it's 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 suffered you know uh, the the sort of growing pains that you would associate with with increased pressure on it and and characterized also by you know an operation that is still run by volunteers in in their spare time so you know to say um, is it going to get better sounds a little bit unfair but having given you that context is it is it going to take a step forward yes it is uh, we've made changes this week which are going to make um, the uh, you know the, the reliability of the watchers significantly higher and finally glenn um I'm going to ask you this because, again, I'm sure listeners will wonder. I mean, there's one notorious critic, and, and to be honest, I don't think we anybody actually takes him seriously. But but there are a couple of people who've quite gently asked, or possibly some in, in slightly more pointed ways, what the hell with Zwift Power? Um, how do those sort of questions affect you affect you personally? Yeah, me personally, it, it, I mean, it does. I do take it to heart. Um, it's because you know I'm one of those people that wants to to provide something that works all of the time you know it does it does hurt and and I do take it a little bit personally occasionally especially when you know it, it is something that we do in our spare time uh, it does take up a considerable amount of time yeah well you know and you probably don't need to hear this because I'm sure you know it but you know the the, the, the overwhelming majority of the community, the racing community supports and loves you and understands when when some difficulties occur. I'm just going to ask you one last question. I'm going to ask you for a really brief answer on it. Do you get enough support from Swift? Yeah, yeah, I do. I have constant communication with with Swift, um, you know, technical staff. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say yes, I do. Good. Okay. Glenn, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure lots of people will be interested to hear of, of the new developments for, for Swift Power and uh, and also j- just to hear your comments on 
you know how it all works and 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 what it means when people leap onto the keyboard perhaps without engaging the brain first thanks very much for being a guest on the Zwiftcast again thanks simon a pleasure as always uh, Nathan, I feel we're being grumpy, grumpy, grumpy chops with with Zwift this edition of the podcast. But, you know, let's ask this question and, and see what we feel about it. Zwift effectively contracts out a, a serious proper results service to a third party, which, which is Zwift Power. And so they cleverly maintain an arm's length relationship with a potentially contentious area. Is that a cop out? Uh, I don't think it is because of the place at which Zwift was at when they launched as a training tool, not mainly a race platform, right? Like that was what they were thinking. And then we started commentating races and developing races and it was a community thing and it grew as a community thing. And now they're like, Whoa, this is growing. This is great. This is cool. Let's, and, and uh, keeping the arm's length is still, I think a, a good idea to allow event managers then to manage their own events. They gave control to the community. So each one of the races has its own event manager. People who are participating in these races don't know that. You can find out who the event manager is right on ZwiftPower.com in the race results. And if you want to deal with whatever's going on with them, it isn't actually ZwiftPower.com that gets back to you. It's the event manager. So either it's KISS or TFC or SZR or whoever whoever's running that race. And so... I think having that internal, uh, that external management, uh, cop out. I don't know. I, I think it was the community developed racing that the community can deal with racing. Fair point. Yep. Fair point. Fair point. Shane, smart move or Zwift failing to meet a community need? Hmm. Look, the racing scene isn't their core market, but I think it's their key market. So it's interesting they've sort of kept back um, and sort of stood back. There's a lot of politics that goes in this, as we've seen, as we've heard with the, uh, the Zwift Power feature there. Um, hmm. I just hope the tools that they're giving these guys um, can, can really enable them to automate a lot of the stuff um, because there's so many hours that goes into things like this. And there's so many passionate people that need to be supported really, really well. So hopefully behind the scenes that's being optimized and uh, it's a happy place. Yeah, yeah. I, well, to be fair to Zwift, I do think they do. You know, they do support Zwift Power behind the scenes quite heavily. But, but, but that does, as, as I say, quite cleverly allow them to to maintain an arm's length relationship with an area that can potentially upset subscribers. You know, nobody likes being demoted or disqualified or otherwise sanctioned in a race, and it will be tough for Zwift to do that. Um, to subscribers, I think. Anyway, 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 let's move on. Um, regular listeners will know I went off to Holland to see Tax, makers of the Neo, the Flux and the Vortex, amongst others, at their factory and HQ in Holland. And this is some of the more general, uh, interesting and very uh, novel and unique stuff I found out about the company. In the trainer business, Tax is an unusual company. It makes all its trainers in Holland at one factory. It's never experimented with Far East production, and everything from design to production to shipping and customer service happens on an industrial estate in the suburb of Wassenaar, close to The Hague. So let's get some insight into the tax way of doing things. The boss is Simon Tax. We're a family business, started in 1957, and the company was founded by my grandfather, started as a local bike shop since my dad and uncle took over 
35, 40 years ago, uh, it took a flight into trainer business and uh, we're still here. So I guess we're doing quite a good job. From a single set of rollers in 1972, tax expanded into bottles, cages and tools. But Zwifters will, of course, know the company best for its big range of trainers, from the simple to the very smart. And whilst the Zwift-led indoor training revolution has been kind to trainer companies, the revolution couldn't have taken place without innovation and development from people like Tax. And the market seems to love it. Simon Tax told me what I found to be a surprising statistic. Swift made it much more fun to train indoors. I think the Neo also was like a like like a big change within the within the market. We used to sell more cheaper trainers, but the Neo is quite an expensive product. But it's our best-selling unit at the moment. It strikes me as unusual that the range topper is the best seller, but a tour of the warehouse seems to confirm the trend for the smarter trainers to be the most popular. I mean, it's a really telling picture when you stand here and, and the stack of Bushidos, for instance, is almost up to the ceiling and, and literally there is one solitary, quite sad-looking, half a pallet of Neos and, and just one, again, just a half a pallet, really, of Flux Smart. All the rest of them are out there um, waiting to be sold. Uh, there's none left in here or very, very few. I'm with tax marketing guy Sven Rogovan. Shortages is a, is a strong word to use, but there are shortages in the market of these two trainers, Sven, aren't there? Yeah, well, the, uh, the demand is really high for these trainers. And, uh, well, um, we are really, really full gas right now in producing them. And, uh, well, it's, it's quite hard to um, deliver all the um, other trainers um, into the market, uh, which are needed indeed, yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of marketing speak for we can't really make them fast enough to keep up with demand, I think. Such is the demand that pretty much top of the tax to-do list right now is a project to expand manufacturing capacity. But it's going to be, as it always has been, based in Holland. Hello, I'm uh, Ramon uh, and I am one of the two designers here uh, at tax. Are you a cyclist? <laughs> I try to be sometimes, but... <laughs> and how important is it that everything is done in-house to you? It's most important because we can react uh, within days. And when you have, for example, your molds in China, you have to send them overseas, they have to come back. You have to. It's six weeks before you can change something. Well, now we can change something in a day, and the next day we can have it in production again. How often do you have to make these little adjustments? Almost every product, we take it back and we adjust a little bit in the mold. It must be really easy when that's just down the corridor, not 6,000 miles away. Yeah, that's, that's a, a big relief. Uh, we can do everything in, in the, the tool shop next door. So we all know what we're talking about and it's very easy to communicate. I love it here because I can see in my job, I can see the beginning of a product and six months later I see the the final products here in the boxes. That's what I love about this company. One of the reasons that Tax has been able to resist the lure of China is its extensive use of automation and robots. I spent a couple of hours on the factory floor and it was striking just how many robotic arms were used in the production of trainers, bottles and cages. Well, my name is Hans Haasnet and I'm production and quality manager for this department, for the plastic department. Um, you see all the plastic machines have uh, robots, so 
we use the robots for uh, separating the products from the wastes. How advanced is this in industry terms in the use of robotics? Uh, for instance, the bottle productions, there are a lot of companies who produce bottles, also in the Netherlands, but they don't use the robots, they do it by hand. So uh, by, use, by making use of the robots, we can produce 24-7. So we don't need a separate night shift. Uh, instance, the welding robots we have here, we are one of the first in the Netherlands. We have a welding robot, uh, so I think in that case we are uh, quite ahead of our uh, competitors. And we, we are always looking for new ways to uh, optimize the production. Uh, in the metal department you see here next, uh, next door, you will find a few robots that do the textile tube, put a, a few holes in and then put it in a crate. In the past there were people doing that, boring work, and in this way we only have to fill up the, the, the magazine and then we can produce uh, for a couple of hours. Of course human beings still work here, quite a few of them actually, because certain assembly and testing processes require them. And TAX is a respected local employer, which takes many graduates of the local engineering and electrical engineering schools. But whilst the company is modern and pioneering in production techniques, its research and design procedures are more instinctive, as the boss, Simon TAX, explains. Our initial thought is always we want to make create products who people want. And we start with ourselves. We design things we like and, and hope that people like it as well. So we don't spend much effort in, in creating, um, how do you say that, uh, customer journeys and profiling people and put them in certain target groups. It's not, not how we work. Maybe in the future, but for the moment, that we see no reason for that. We're, we're cycling enthusiasts as well, creating products we like. With the opportunity of a long sit-down with Simon, I decided to ask him a question that's long fascinated some Zwifters. Do trainer companies and Zwift have any kind of commercial relationship? To put it more bluntly, perhaps, do Zwift benefit from the increased trainer sales they undoubtedly help to promote? I would describe our relationship fairly close. I think, uh, yeah, the communication flow is uh, is there. We do things together like events. Uh, they help in new product launches, the, the marketing around it. It's quite complementary, the hardware and the software, so we need each other. Is it a commercial relationship or is it simply a relationship of mutual interest? I think it's a relationship of mutual interest. There's no commercial relationship between Tex or Swift or Trainer Road. Um, our products are complementary. So there's no direct commercial relationship between uh, us and any other software competitor to us or software partner. And finally, I asked Mr. Tax in which direction he thought that prices might be heading. Uh, with the Flux, we wanted to make it more accessible uh, to a wider range of, uh, of, of people. We succeeded on that. I, th I don't think it get much lower. The smart bike is not going to be cheaper than a Neo, of course, so in that that perspective, I think the, the average price point will go up. If you see what, um, what people are willing to spend on a NEO, for example, that, that astonished us, we, did, we weren't expecting that. When you compare the average price, or the, the price point of the Flux compared to the Vortex, for example, it's higher. The Vortex is a cheaper trainer, but we sell more Flux than the Vortex. An interesting contrast to the boss of Elite, who thought that competition would drive down prices. But in many ways, these two giants of European trainer manufacture are similar. They're both family companies 
who build their products close to home and employ a long-serving, knowledgeable and experienced workforce with senior management closely connected to the founding fathers. As a Brit, I wonder why the UK hasn't managed to produce similar trainer companies. But that's another story. The single most remarkable thing about that for me, and I'm not sure they they, they really intended to tell me, there was a bit of retina rolling going on by the PR man when, when the boss said this, that the revelation that the Neo is the company's best-selling trainer and it's the most expensive. Shane, am I, have I got my surprise meter properly calibrated here? I found that really surprising. It's it's a smart trainers are always a premium product, and I think even give or take five hundred dollars, people it's probably people will look at um you know what features they want and they'll choose that because we spend a lot of time indoors, and even five hundred dollars extra or five hundred dollars more than a something else or a competitor, people not don't really blink at that too much. Um, and if you need something that's quiet, the Neo is the only answer. Yeah, no, no, it's it's definitely a good trainer, but man, it's an expensive trainer. Uh, and it's not normal, I, I don't think, but I mean, is it normal for BMW's bestseller to be its most expensive car? I, I would have thought not. Hmm, I'm not sure. It depends if it supports Bluetooth and Ant Plus. I think these Neo sales have probably been driven largely by, by Zwift. It seems that a lot of Zwifters have that philosophy. They, they really, really don't mind spending an awful lot of money on this new way of cycling. You made that uh, comparison about BMWs. I'll go back to the cycling industry. And in the cycling industry, we'll get the job done is the question. And that's why you see a lot of riders coming in and buying the best sales in a bike shop are going to be the lower end of the bicycles. But when somebody's going to the trainer market, we'll get the job done. The person who's thinking about just getting the job done to get into Zwift is going to go with a dumb trainer speed sensor and the job is done. The person who's going into power and going into smart trainer and the feel, that's a whole nother world of getting the job done. And they do the research and they go, these other ones don't get the job done for what I'm buying right now. I think that's the reason why is that I'll spend that extra because I don't trust that these are going to get the job done. So that's my take on that. Maybe I'm incorrect and it's very interesting. Like I'm, I, I am scratching my head a little bit, but at the same time, the only thing I could think of is, well, what is the user thinking in, cause it's the same market, the bike industry and most sales are lower end bikes in any bike shop, you know, but I think that they're just trying to get the job done. So, and, and that's where they go. They shoot for is at that higher end then for that. Very good point. Nathan. you know, that rage jar, I think you need a. I think you need a good point jar next to it, actually, because <laughs> that that would be very full after this episode. Uh, very, very good point. Very good point. Um, Shane, now you've kind of set yourself up in competition with the god of all things sports tech, DC Rainmaker, um, with a bit of a trainer overview review thingy. Um, for those who want, shall we say, a slightly shorter read than Raymaker's uh, excellent pieces, so so tell us tell us about it. I've been collecting smart trainers for well since they first came out. Since the first kicker came out, I think my ant ID on my kicker is sixty six. So I think that indicates it's a pretty low, pretty early model. So I've got a ton of these trainers. I've reviewed quite a lot of them. Well, in my way, in my certain, you know, I, I throw them around, I break them, I talk about them, I tell it like it is. Um, I'm not really set up as a as a competition. I don't think uh, with DC Raymaker, I still refer to his sites a lot for the full tech specs to really upskill on what this trainer is going to do. But a lot of people still come to me and say. 
hey, I want this or what's the difference between this? Just a short, really overview. Like, you know, when you talk to a mate, hey, what do you use? Oh, I use this for this reason. And he just comes back with an elevator pitch. That's pretty much what I've set up. I've really just summarized and condensed all my trainers that I've used myself that I've ridden. Um, I'm not going to talk about something I haven't ridden. You see a lot of articles and we've mentioned a website already in the episode that you'll see an article written and you're like, have they actually ridden this thing? What? I mean, sure, it's Bluetooth yeah, yeah, and it's ants. Yeah. Or, or for any, yeah, but, yeah, for any length of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I've got a lot of experience with that. So I thought, look, what can I give back? And YouTube is a great platform for that. Um, but I still needed a central point that I can just keep posting updates. And this thing changes a lot. As I mentioned before, there's a, a new firmware update out for the Neo, which changes things a bit, which really improves it. So I need to be able to go back. You can't change your video. That's hard to do. So this sort of one central indoor trainer guide, it's just my version of it. Um, and look, I wouldn't say it's in competition. I guess it's in parallel with what Ray does as well, but also James Gill with um, his Titanium Geek stuff. And I really encourage if people are going to buy those smart trainers and they're really looking at, hey, which one do I buy? Because what money you spend and what trainer you choose really determines what experience you have. And that's a big one. That's different between when you buy a bike, once you get a bike with say 11 speeds and it fits you, it's all about the same. Trainers are completely different. You really need to know. It's like, hey, do I need something that's quiet? What do I choose? Do I need something that's mid-range? What do I choose? Do I want really responsive power? What do I choose? And sometimes you don't have the time to go through a 40-page um, dossier or Wikipedia page. Yeah. And wh where is it? Where is that site? Uh, if you just Google GP Llama Indoor Trainer Guide, it'll pop up on Google somewhere. But it's over on Blogspot. Um, even easier, gplama.com. If you go to gplama.com, um, it'll redirect you straight to where you need to go. Um, but if you can't find it, I'm always, always on social media. So always just hit me up, shoot me an email, send me a message. I'll get you in the right direction. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's a great idea. Well done. Well done, Shane. Um, Nathan, Swift Community Live, um, to me, it just looks to be going from strength to strength and, and particularly... Uh, I mean, I know I was, I was involved in, in some of this coverage, but but something like the distance record um, where you, you want to be able to just pop in and see how it's going and not have to look too hard to find it. And even if you miss the bit that was live, it's kind of instantly archived. It, that seemed to me to be a really, really good example of how Zwift Community Live can work very well. Did, did it go all right from, from your end? Oh, yeah, we definitely loved it. Um, the idea of having the quick fire with... Uh, individuals within the community is something we're adding as a feature in a lot of different ways that we're thinking about. Um, there's also uh, a moving forward, like we like we said before, away from not away from racing. We're we're staying with the racing. Excuse me on that, but adding more content that's not just racing. There's group ride leaders that we are training up as good streamers that can both lead the group ride and stream the group ride and have their discord active so that they can have a presentation of here's what we do as a community group as a group ride event and how we function and and and, and highlight what they're doing in the community so uh that's that's one feature coach rides is another feature that we're looking forward to adding in the next couple of weeks here as well uh, there's some major race events that are coming up as well that uh, go outside the box of what we currently have going on. So we're so, so excited right now and uh, working literally around the clock. People have been asking me how time and again, again, we're we're going live with Down Under in uh, 20 minutes from right now and it is 2.04 a.m. right now. But I'm excited for it. I'm so thankful for it, actually. And 
um, it's so awesome to connect with so many people from around the world and see what they're doing to better their lives through the power of bicycles and with this online platform with Zwift. And so I know it's been a grumpy cast, but at the same time, like I, I at the end, I have this sentiment and it's the reason we're all sitting here together. You know what I mean? And so because we want something to be so awesome, we're grumpy, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, we wouldn't be sitting here and we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be connecting with all these people in Australia, New Zealand and the, the rest of the Pacifics, you know, in 25 minutes from now and cheering them on live in a race broadcast. So we're loving Zwift community live and having a lot of fun with it. Nathan, put another $10 in the good point jar, please. <laughs> uh, no, another very, very good point. And it, it has been a bit of a grumpy cast actually, but we started off positive with that, that very nice story. And, uh, um, and I think we can end positive, you know, because, um, you know, let's just remind ourselves of what indoor training used to be like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, Shane, is is it, it's not autumn yet, down under, is it? Is, I mean, it's getting towards the end of summer, isn't it? Oh, don't remind me. No, I love the hot weather. Uh, we've got a few hot days still here uh, that we're taking most advantage of. So I've been outside building single speed bikes and things like that, doing everything outside that I can, enjoying it, but also still sneaking in my hardcore training indoors. So a lot of people have been seeing me uh, rip around the volcano circuit with low cadence. I'm back in full training mode and that means riding indoors, even when the weather's nice out, but always striking a good balance. Excellent. Okay, boys. Well, I know, Nathan, you've got to dash off and do a race at something after 2am fellas always great to talk to you um even when we're in grumpy mode you know and we've not we've not been too grumpy i don't think we've been justifiably grumpy in certain areas anyway excellent to 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 talk to you both and uh as ever thanks very much for your contributions and of course i look forward to talking to you again thanks guys excellent thanks team that's it there is no more thanks for listening and thanks to zwift for their support of the cast just a reminder that that support comes with no strings. We three are free to say what we want. Ride on Zwifters.